Good morning. We are in Acts chapter 5. And I'll be glad to be back here in Acts. We had an interlude where he went into Numbers 14 and learned there not to grumble against God. Okay, so today we see the signs of true apostles. Let me read the text and then pray and we'll begin our lesson. Acts 5.12, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you confirmed the gospel through your apostles who were appointed by your Son. May we believe their testimony and be committed to the gospel and to resist those things that are not valid and not from you. Give us wisdom and discernment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, going to slide two, which is Acts 5 and verse 12. Acts 5 and verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Now, It's important that we identify and understand the significance and uniqueness of the signs of the apostles. How we understand this and how we define it biblically will determine our understanding of the authority of Christ. If we get time, I will show you some primary source research from Martin Luther on this. I don't know if we'll have time today or not, but if we do, I'll get to it. If not, I'll do so next week. I want you to see that the solas of the Reformation were indeed taught by Luther and that we need to take heed. I believe the solas are valid. Now, the apostles were appointed by Jesus Christ himself. We believe that these signs and wonders validated that they were really the apostles and that they really spoke with the authority of Jesus Christ. And they were really sent by God. In the case of these apostles, these healings and deliverances were real. They weren't fake. They weren't hyped up. They weren't uh, false claims. 
but they were real, they were legitimate, and they were unique. We have many dozens of false preachers running around the world today claiming to be apostles doing signs and wonders. The only problem is it doesn't work and it doesn't even really happen. Have any of you ever heard Justin Peters' presentation? That was fantastic. And he had some data where they investigated some of these healing evangelists in their meetings. And he said, if you need healing, the worst place to go is one of these meetings. (laughs) More people got healed just staying home than ever did in these meetings. And so these really aren't the apostles of Jesus Christ, but the ones here in Acts are and were. Now notice here that they were taking place in front of witnesses among the people, and they were with one accord. Some people would say, well, because we correct error, we don't believe in Christian unity. That's false. Eric and I very much believe in Christian unity, and on our podcast, at the end, we quote Philippians 127, that we might be with one mind and one accord, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And what we believe is that the true gospel will lead to true unity. But if we just say, well, anything goes, don't correct here, everybody gets to have their own thing, that is not helping with any kind of Christian unity. So we need to be in one accord ourselves with the faith of the apostles that's taught in the New Testament. So we do believe in sola scriptura. Now I have some verses here, and the first one is John 20 and verse 21. John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Okay, so Jesus was sent by the Father, Jesus who preexisted as God and with God, who is the creator of all things, who came into this world, born of a virgin, the sinless one, the Messiah, the promised one, the seed of Abraham, well, I should start, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the promised one who would come to keep the promises God gave to the patriarchs, who was fully human and fully God, and who was raised from the dead and bodily ascended into heaven. Now, this one was sent, that's what it means in John, that he was the sent one. Sent one is an apostle. Jesus is the apostle. He appointed apostles, which are true apostles. The apostles spoke for God. The apostles had no successors. And in a moment, I'll have Eric come. I asked him to do this earlier in a week. I want him to come and share a little bit about how we identify true apostles. But when you hear from what Eric has to say about this, you'll realize that it's impossible that the apostles had successors. 
Therefore, the Pope is not the apostle of Christ. And therefore, when he teaches his left-wing socialism that he's teaching now, you don't have to listen to him. He has no more to say than anybody else. In fact, less. I'm going to show you that from, from Luther. Okay. Now, I don't fear that one bit because he has no power over me. So they were doing signs. These were unique. These were real They weren't hyped up. People were really being healed. And that's why we'll see they're bringing all these people out on cots and whatever because they knew that these were apostles sent by Jesus with his authority and his power. It says in Acts 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. This is the outline for Acts. This is the programmatic verse for the book of Acts. And the power of the Holy Spirit was invested in the apostles who were appointed by Jesus Christ. The signs and wonders they did proved that. They validated their apostolic claims. Let's look at these verses are listed. You might want to look them up. Luke 24, 47 to 49. Let's see the great commission given by Jesus. He says, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus' appointed apostles, and in that power they went, they did signs and wonders, they preached, and they preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke Acts is a two-volume work. Acts makes a point to show that the apostles did exactly what Jesus sent them to do. Hebrews 2, 2 through 4. It says here, For if the word spoken through angels proved inalterable, And every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. See the progression? Spoken through the Lord, confirmed through those who heard. The eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ His appointed apostles were taught by him for three years. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, and they spoke for God. Verse 4, Hebrews 2. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. It was God's will 
to validate the authority and message of the apostles. I get emails from people who claim to be apostles today. I purposely get on the list, so I want to see what they're up to. (laughs) This one guy is just making every grandiose claim. It's unbelievable. They'll claim anything. Now, do these, all of these miracles really happen at their meetings? No. No, it's just poor people having their hopes raised and then dashed that somehow they're going to find healing or they're going to find their miracle. But it doesn't really happen. If you haven't heard him, I would recommend Justin Peters, who's the best one out there at explaining what's wrong with all of that. I highly recommend him. But see, the real apostles did do signs and wonders, and God was testifying with them, it says. And they preached the gospel, and they preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which we are to do. We preach the message of the apostles, but we don't claim to be apostles. John 20, 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are now written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's the purpose of the written biblical testimony about these signs and wonders that we, the readers, might believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah and that believing in him, we would have life in his name. There's the purpose right there. And God has called us to preach the gospel so that others would believe. I've mentioned some other verses where the phrase one accord is mentioned. I think I'll let you look those up yourself. But I want to look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So we see that Paul himself like one born out of time, was a true apostle. Eric, are you prepared to do the teaching? Tell us how we know and what are the qualifications for being an apostle. Yeah, I will. Um, Thank you, Bob. Bob and I worked on this a lot about seven, eight years ago. And what we did is we came up with four criteria for being an apostle. Uh, Remember, an apostle, as Bob's been saying, is a sent one. The concept originates in the Old Testament, Shaluak. That was a concept that mean the one who was sent had the very authority of the one who sent him. So one example is, remember, David sends messengers to Nabal, who is this fool. Nabal rejects the messengers, therefore he's rejecting the king himself, King David, because they went in his name. Jesus sends his apostles, they go in his name. Matthew 10.40 says, those who receive you receive me. 
So if you don't receive the apostles, you're rejecting Christ himself. The four criteria that we came up with was, number one, Bob had mentioned it, you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 9.1. Now, remember in 1 Corinthians 15, you had over 500 brethren at one time who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Well, just because you were an eyewitness of the resurrection didn't mean you were an apostle, but you couldn't be an apostle without being an eyewitness to the resurrection. So that was one of the criteria. The second criteria is you had to be called. So not everyone that was an eyewitness was called. Uh, Paul talks about that in most of his epistles. He says that he was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Amen. That would, yeah, Peter. Hand him the mic. Is called the same as sent? Called would be really synonymous almost with the effectual calling, but this, in this case, it's a calling specifically for Paul not only to be a believer but to be an apostle. So that's what he'd be referring to, that he was called specifically for that task and that purpose. So you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. You had to be called. But they also, as Bob's been laying out here, they did miraculous deeds. And you see that, for example, in Hebrews chapter 2 that Bob had just read. Notice where it says here, in Hebrews 2, verse, we'll just start in, uh, we'll just, in verse 4. It says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Well, these signs and wonders, as we're going to find out here, are done by the apostles. So even later in Acts here, we're going to see in chapter 5, when the mere shadow of Peter would fall upon the sick, they would be healed. Now, how many people do that today? You walk by and your shadow falls upon someone and they're healed. What doesn't happen? And God wasn't showing that these guys were somehow some like a spiritual superstar. He was demonstrating that they were his personal spokesman. So they did miraculous deeds. The fourth one is less known. So we have, they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. Number two, they had to be called. Number three, they had to do miraculous deeds. But the fourth one, Bob alluded to, is they had to be personally instructed by Christ. Amen. And the evidence of that is turn your Bibles to Acts 1. I think Peter makes a claim here that isn't just his own claim. I think it's the claim on behalf of God. Notice in... Verse 21, he's talking about, this is 121 of Acts. Peter has just talked about the death of Judas, and someone has to take his place. And so listen to the criteria he gives. Peter says first, I'm sorry, Acts 121. He says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now, recall that that earthly ministry of Christ lasted for three years. So one of the questions that that presupposes, well, what about Paul? Paul was not with Christ, Uh obviously, during his earthly ministry. But Bob has addressed this when he taught Galatians. In Galatians 1, recall Paul says not only was he untimely born considering the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, but he himself was personally instructed by Christ when he was in Arabia. Remember, he says, I didn't go up to Jerusalem and hear from the other apostles, but he was personally instructed by Christ in Arabia. And how long was he instructed for? For three years. So he is brought up to the same standard then that the other apostles are. So the four criteria, again, you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection, you had to be called, you had to do miraculous deeds, and you had to be personally instructed by Christ. And if you don't have 
those four criteria met and you claim to be an apostle, you are a $3 bill. Ah. <laughs> that's, that's what we're suggesting. Okay. All right. Good job. Thank you. He was. He saw the resurrected Christ as one born out of time. The resurrected Christ bodily appeared to him. That's his claim. Okay, so if that were not true, he wouldn't be a valid apostle. So that's why we can say with certainty, after the death of the biblical apostles, there cannot be any more. All right? And that's why, because it's impossible that anybody is going to meet that criteria. And they haven't met it. Okay, let's go to verse 13. But then it says, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. Now, there's some ambiguity in the Greek here, but I think we can sort it out fairly well. What we want to know is how is it that some people didn't dare associate with them, but at the same time, there were people being added to the church and being converted. How did that work out? And who was it that didn't dare associate with them? Well, we had just saw the Ananias and Sapphira incident. And it says that that was well known. It says in Acts 5.11, And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Now, think about it. If Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit, and you're thinking about that, wouldn't it be reasonable to think, I'm probably in trouble? Okay. Wow, this is dangerous. And so there was fear, legitimately, because of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. But on the other hand, the signs of the apostles were going on. And it was clear enough that they spoke for God and that they're doing what Jesus had done. All right? I have a quote from Dr. Paul Hill of the New American Commentary Series. He says, quote, The people were awed by the power of the apostles, seeing the miracles work by their hands. And perhaps having heard the report about Ananias and Sapphira, they did not run up and join the Christian band in the colonnade, but kept a healthy distance. All right, that's great. I, th- I like this, but I don't want to drop dead either. <laughs> so they're looking at it. Now, what's going to happen is people will overcome that fear and become Christian and join. But some will not. And then after we're done with this pericope, the next one is attacks by the Jewish leadership against the gospel and against the apostles. So they stood back with healthy respect and perhaps fear, but they had to think about whether they're going to join this or not. I think I heard John MacArthur say one time, Ananias and Sapphira would certainly uh, put a a damper on the whole church growth thing. (laughs) 
You won't be all kinds of giddy, say, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to think about it. Verse 14. But it didn't stop people from coming to faith. More and more believers in the Lord were added to their number. Crowds of both men and women. Now, added here, we're added in perfect passive indicative. So we have here a divine passive, and it means by God. By God. And the people believe. Here we have a present active participle. So the Greek words would indicate that two things are true. It's a work of God that anybody's added, but it's also true that they really do believe. Okay, so if I become part of the church, it's because God added me. He gets all the glory. But I really do believe. I have to believe. Both things are true. These are not contradictory. Now, there's an ordo salutis going on here, and, uh, which means order of salvation. But God gets the priority, but we do really believe. And we're glad to be here because of a prior work of God's grace. Another one of the solas, grace alone. Brian. Um, the unbelievers stayed away due to the fear of the consequence of sin, there's nothing that says that Ananias and Sapphira were not Christians, okay, were not saved. So, therefore, the worse, even worse than what that verse is, is just not being saved. You follow me? They yeah, were rejecting the gospel altogether. They were staying yeah. away because of the fear of the sin, but yet... Ananias and Sapphira, as far as we know, we, we don't know. We don't. I would we, say that it's, it's, it's very, I mean, they were saved. Well. And they sinned. We don't know that. But remember when we went into Numbers 14, Brian? Yeah. And the people were rebelling against God. And so the whole generation was going to die in the wilderness. Right? Remember Moses prayed that God would pardon them? And God said, I have to pardon them according to your word. So how that all works out, pardoned people were dying in the wilderness, but they weren't going into the promised land. You can think about that one. But whatever the case, I would prefer not to be Ananias or Sapphira. <laughs> Strictly do not recommend that. Now it says in Acts 2 39 for the promises for you and your children and for all who are afar off for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself my dear Christian friends please know this people are not added to the church through the church growth movement I wrote a book about this you can present Christianity as a good means of life enhancement. I'll be happier. I'll be acceptable in, in, in society. Maybe I can run for office. Not anymore. No, not anymore. <laughs> but 
Christianity isn't about enhancing your life experience. It's about being converted, right? So notice the ones who receive the promise are as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Now, knowing that God is going to call people to himself and that he does this through means, then the only thing that makes sense is gospel preaching. Amen? Okay, so I don't care if some of these people like Robert Schuller, although he's kind of, I'm dating myself, he's not the guy anymore. Bill Hybels or even some newer ones fill up a building with a by using a positive thinking message. But that's not God adding people or calling him them to himself. To be converted is to be called to God himself. And he does that through the gospel. So we have no reason to do anything less than forthright gospel preaching. And even if there's fear or apprehension or people have been warned, stay away from those Christians. They're narrow-minded. They're judgmental. They won't go along with the trends of society, whatever, whatever, whatever. Don't even think about that. If God's going to call people to himself... He'll do so through the gospel. And we don't have to be afraid to name the idols of the world we're in. You've maybe heard me preaching the gospel, and I've said more than once that people need to turn away from Mother Earth and come to Father God. Why? Because the Earth goddess is the most popular deity in our world. People are utterly committed to the earth goddess. Well, the trouble with the earth goddess is, number one, she has questionable ontological status. Well, I had to throw that out there. <laughs> I wanted to see what kind of reaction I'd get. What's, what do I mean? Ontological means order of being. So what I just said was, she probably doesn't even exist. Either there's a demon, those who worship idols worship demons, or there's no goddess at all. The earth is the creation. See, and the earth isn't going to take care of us. But if we go to Father God, who is the creator, he's a God of love and mercy who sent his son to die for sins, the just for the unjust. And so I'm just telling people, whether they like it or not, Mother Earth isn't going to help you. You need Father God. Come to him. There's the gospel. I was having my hair cut once about 20-some years ago, and the barber was a lady, and she said she was having troubles, and she said, I'm putting myself into the hands of the universe. So what am I going to say? She knew I was a gospel preacher. I said, 
Well, I got to tell you something. The universe is impersonal. Therefore, the universe doesn't care about you. The universe isn't going to help you. You need God, who is the personal creator of all things, including the universe. Now, the Bible makes that claim. Eric and I were just talking about this on the radio. You haven't heard it yet because it's still on Dropbox, I think. I I edited it and put it up on Dropbox, but you will hear it if you listen to our podcast. We talked about Christ as the creator. That's an important claim. So here's what we need to know. There's no use trying to pretend to be nature conscious to get people to like us. It's a waste of time. It's more loving to tell people the truth. Mother Earth isn't going to do anything for you. But you can come through Jesus Christ to Father God, who sent his own son to die for sins. There we go. That's our message. Well, why preach that? Because God will use it to call people to himself. And once you come to God himself and are converted, you'll be glad that somebody told you these other deities are false. There's no use bringing people into a building called church under false pretenses. So they're not added unless they believe the gospel. Verse 15. Now, Eric talked about this. Thus they even carried the sick out into the streets and put them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow would fall on some of them. Now, the text doesn't say whether they were actually healed in this way. It may be implied. It says in Acts 19, 11, and 12, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out. Okay, but this is validating who's an apostle. So we have in Acts validation that Peter is and that Paul is. Okay, but I remember, maybe some of you do too. Do you remember people like Oral Roberts sending hankies out in the mail? He'd have great big piles of them and pray the prayer of healing and said, send us, send us your donation. We'll send you a hanky personally prayed for by the big TV evangelist. And people would get those. And they would say things like, go and put your hands on the TV because you need a contact point. Have you remember that? All right. See, this whole thing is utterly misguided. The point is that Peter and the others, and then Paul, are true apostles. They are no longer on the scene of history. We have their writings. And we have the church. And we have recourse. It says if we're sick, to call the elders, to anoint them, pray for them. That's what God said. Just do it and trust God. See what happens. God answers prayer. I know he does because I'm still here. 
there was a superstition about shadows I wanted to quote Paul Hill about. Quote, in the ancient world, a person's shadow was the subject of much superstition and was believed to represent his or her power and personality to literally be an extension of their person. Whether or not they were healed by Peter's shadow, Luke did not explicitly say, but the note underlines the strength of the apostles' healing reputation. So they believed that these were the apostles of Christ. People were healed in Christ's ministry. He sent them. They were healed in their ministry. Yes. During Jesus' ministry, a lot of people were healed because they believed in him. Yes. Many of these during Acts are being healed not because Peter's shadow fell upon them, but because they believed yeah. what Peter was teaching. Yeah, they through the apostles, they believed their witness and believed in Christ. Very good point. But see, people are superstitious. You can make a lot of money. Oh, I used to get these things just because when I was writing articles, it was interesting to do research. One time... I got a little packet of healing water from the fountain at Oral Roberts University. And, and you could send in, and you'd get this little packet of water. You know, with Protestants like that, who needs Catholics, right? <laughs> the holy water. But I thought it was really funny, because on the little packet it said, Warning, do not drink. So you got a little packet of polluted water from Oral <laughs> It may heal you, but if you drink it, it'll kill you. <laughs> oh, my. Let's go to the last slide here, 516. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. This is unique to Christ and his apostles. It said in Matthew eight sixteen, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits of the word and healed all who were ill. Even the most brazen TV evangelists and healing evangelists can't claim every sick person was healed that came. And in fact, they're real good at blaming the sick person. Or you didn't have enough faith. Or you must have sin in your life. It's never the fault of the evangelists. So we have this theme, remember the healing of the lame man gave opportunity for the witness of the apostles they prayed in Acts 4.30 that God would confirm the word of the gospel with signs and the point of signs let me read Acts 14.3 therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who is testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Notice, 
God is testifying about the gospel, the word of his grace. And this was granted. They didn't conjure this up because they knew the secret. This is God granting miraculous signs to confirm the truth of the gospel. Now, when we read the book of Acts, we also become recipients of the testimony of God to the veracity of the gospel. Now, this happened earlier in Luke. Remember Luke Acts? It's a two-volume work. It said in Luke 9, 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. It said in Luke 9, 6, departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So one of the things Luke is telling us in Acts is the ascension of Jesus into heaven did not end this work of power and authority. It was carried on by his apostles. So when I speak about Christ and the apostles, I often write or say Christ and his apostles so that we identify them as the ones on the scene of history were appointed by him. Not somebody who sends out an email today claiming to be an apostle. Yes. Well, I was just thinking, you know, when you were going through the holy water that gets sent through the mail or whatever, but how it's common for humans to take legitimate things that God has ordained and turn them into illegitimate. And it makes me think of the uh, serpent on the pole that Moses held up and, you know, which was a legitimate thing. If they looked at it, they would be healed. And then the people ended up worshiping it to the point, and I believe it was King Hezekiah that had to destroy that pole. And because people were worshiping it illegitimately. And I then, like baptism is an ordained thing of God, but then we turn it into an illegitimate thing where we say it now, ba- it now saves you. So, I mean, it's just kind of this human thing that we take yeah. that is legitimate, and then over a long period of time it becomes something that it, man-made and illegitimate. Exactly. The very good point, Luann. We don't need to enhance anything God did. We need to believe because the message is there in the scripture itself. And we can't enhance it. Yeah, you're right. Now, let me show you. I got 15 minutes here. I got another PowerPoint. We don't have a printout of this because I didn't send it to Christy. But it's direct quotes of Luther on the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to take notes, maybe flip over your printout and write on the back. I found this. Believe me, I really believe in the value of primary source research. What do I mean by that? If somebody in a Bible dictionary or a encyclopedia says, or a church history book, said Luther said this or Luther did that. Okay, fine. But I will not write an article quoting that kind of a source. I just won't do it. If I can't go 
to the primary source, I'm not going to write about it. Because people aren't necessarily honest when they say so-and-so taught this or that. Dr. Travis, my teacher in seminary in church history, emphasized that. And I always got good grades from him because I always did primary source research. The only time I wouldn't is if I could not find the primary source. Now, when it comes to Luther, that's never the case because I have the complete works of Luther in my logo software. Now, I'm going to show you that Luther did teach sola scriptura. And then what we just learned from Acts informed Luther's understanding of how the Holy Spirit comes to us. Now, I've said over and over again, including on the radio, that Luther taught the Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word. And I agree with that. I noticed on our website and on the videos we're putting on cable access, we say at Gospel of Grace Fellowship that we believe in the solas of the Reformation. So I want to prove to you that the solas really did come from the Reformation. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I want to show you Luther making application of this. All of this is his commentary on John 14, 26. Here's what he says. You'll notice he's very colorful. Quoting Luther, you see that these knaves are double-tongued. They take the words Holy Spirit, quote, and church, and apply them to their trumpery. But they do not teach a word of what Christ said and commanded. What did it say in John 14? This is me now. What did it say in John 14, 26? He, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send, will bring to your remembrance all that I taught. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Bring to our remembrance what Christ, and by extension, his apostles, taught. And therefore, the Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word. Rome taught the Holy Spirit comes to us through the church. There's the difference. Thus, sola scriptura. Someone just told me the other day that Rome's apologists say, well, the Reformation just made up sola scriptura. The real truth is the Holy Spirit comes to us through the church. No, Christ taught this. Quoting, this is the part in red here, quoting Luther again. In fact, they teach and do the very opposite. And under their, the pretext of the name of Christ and the Holy Spirit, they lead the people away from Christ and the Holy Spirit, says Luther. Christ did not say that I must believe and accept every resolution of the Pope, the cardinals, and the bishops. He said that I should hearken to the Christian church, which has the Holy Spirit, who is sent by the Father in Christ's name and teaches nothing but what Christ said. This will become Luther's 
criteria or criterion for identifying the true church. Because at the time of the Reformation, the idea that Rome is the only true church was jettisoned. But then there were many coming around claiming theirs was the true church. And so they needed a definition to identify where there was a church, what was truly a church. Now, let me give you the Reformed Reformation definition of the true church. Again, Dr. Travis talked about this, and I wrote about it when I was in his classes. Wherever the word is purely taught and the sacraments administered according to the Lord's institution, it's not to be doubted that there a true church exists. So you have what they call sacrament. Now, you can debate that. And people did in Luther's day, and I've read that in Luther. And he said, fine, don't use the term sacrament. Let's say the Lord's Supper and baptism. I agree. So you don't have to use that term. But where the things that were ordained by Christ are practiced according to his ordination, and the word is purely taught, there is the church. This will keep us from parochialism, yes, well, I think that's where you run into problems is where the word is purely taught. So there's lots of people that would have different interpretations of how the word is purely taught. Okay, that brings us to another doctrine of Luther that I do agree with. And I have a whole computer full of PDFs I made of these things I found in my research. Luther commented on 1 Corinthians 14 where it said you may all prophesy one by one and let the others judge. And he accounted prophecy in that regard as gospel preaching. And he did teach the authority of Scripture in the priesthood of every believer, that every single believer was a priest to God, and that as priests to God, we who know the word of Christ and the teachings of his apostles are equipped by God to judge prophecy and that we don't have to believe something because a church authority taught it but we need to know that it's in accordance with the word of Christ right and so therefore he was so bold and I've got documents to prove all of this that the lowliest believer in the church who's a priest to God could, if the Pope doesn't preach the gospel, say to the Pope, be silent in the church because you're not preaching the gospel. Any believer can do that. Again, I've got first person primary source research to prove that Luther taught that. I think it's great. You can judge prophecy. When you hear here at Gospel Grace Fellowship, whatever is being preached or taught from the pulpit in the church, we claim that is the true gospel of Christ, and the word is taught according to the meaning of the Holy Spirit-inspired authors, you are not only privileged, but invited to judge that. And if we don't teach according 
to the meaning of the text that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, we ought to be corrected. Yes. If we're equipped, we can look at other churches the way that they're teaching, and from the outside looking at that, we can say, oh, that's false teaching or that's heresy. That's not a true church. But the people that are in that church, they may be thinking that the true word of God is being preached and they're issuing the sacraments. Therefore, they don't know well, any different. Okay, but that's their responsibility. Okay, the priesthood of every believer. We are responsible to become taught by the Holy Spirit. That's the new covenant. They'll all be taught by God. Each one will tell his neighbor, know the Lord, because they'll all know him. And so, if you're not being trained well enough to be able to judge, then something's already wrong. Yes, Peter. Doesn't Second uh, Peter one twenty and 21 apply here? Go ahead and read them. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Yes. The Holy Spirit comes to us through the Word. These were the biblical writers. The Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures. I believe with all of my heart, the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit is in there in error. And if I really want to see a work of the Holy Spirit in the church, I will study and work and make sure and submit this to the body that the word of God is purely taught. Because if it is, therein lies the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not from somebody's hanky sent from Tulsa. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I just completely, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, and then I just want to add this one thing, which I think is, the, it just provides balance. You know, and I'm not a great student of the Bible, but First John, the whole book has to do with how we believers behave towards each other. You know, yes. That we love each other and all that. And this is a joyful thing that we are a priesthood of believers. This is a wonderful thing. Amen. And, and if, we, if we realize that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble so we don't get prideful over our, what we think is our wonderful understanding. In other words, we have to have humility. But I think the intent is, just as you say, that, that we are a priesthood of believers. What an honor and a privilege. Oh, and, yeah. And, and then we can hold each other accountable in love, and also, as we speak to other people, other churches that have error, that we can do that in the, in the right way. Uh, and so yeah. there's a nice balance to it. One thing you can be assured of is that the gospel doesn't make anybody proud. What is the gospel telling us? That we were wretched, hopeless, helpless sinners that couldn't do a thing, but that God pulled us out of the murk, murky pit and had mercy on us. Amen. Yeah, it really isn't about pride. It's about identifying how the Holy Spirit comes to us. Let's see if we can quick do one more slide here. How do I identify 
the work of the Spirit. Quoting Luther, this is to be the church, and I must identify it by these marks. You, on the other hand, wickedly, now he's speaking to Rome, wickedly usurp this name and apply it to a coterie of knaves. I think that's a bad thing to be a knave. (laughs) Who do not ask at all what Christ said and commanded. What did Christ say? Who's the head of the church? Christ. What did he command? In the red here, they brashly determine and formulate whatever doctrines they themselves choose and then allege that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, says Luther, they are so impudent as to elevate such a crowd of knaves above God's word and say that the church is above the gospel. Do you see that? There's the key issue. Is the church above the gospel? No. The gospel's above the church. The church is born of the gospel. The gospel has to have the priority. One more sentence. Just as though there was a Christian church without Christ and his word. There's the Reformation. There's Sola Scriptura. Without Christ and his word and the gospel, there is no church. That's how God calls people to himself. And if we are added to the church, we're a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2. Kings and priests of God. Our brother said, well, we don't want to have pride. I agree. But if you know how that happened, it's not going to puff you up. It's going to humble you. Unworthy sinners were added to the church by a work of God's grace and grace alone. Yes, one more question here. Yeah, Bob, I, I was wondering, what qualities are we lacking as a church today to carry out the same works as in the church in the book of Acts? We're not able to do the signs of the apostles because we're not apostles. If we could do everything they did, then we throw Sola Scripture out the window and say, well, I'm adding to Christ which is what Rome did. We can't do what the apostles did because we're not the apostles. It says signs of the apostles. Now, those who claim they can do anything the apostles did can't. They lie. Every one of them is a liar. Todd Bentley's a liar. I get his emails. He lies, he lies, and he lies some more. He claims he can go to the third heaven and come back. That's a lie. So all modern claimants to be apostles are false and they're liars because the apostles are no longer with us, but we have their writings. So that's sola scriptura, okay? Scripture alone. Scripture came from Christ and his apostles. Just as through, just as though there was a Christian church without Christ's word, there is not. So we exist because we need him and we depend on him. Yeah, Luther has strong language, but there was a big battle. There was a big battle going on. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, that we have our Lord Jesus and his apostles whose word informs us of the true gospel. May we humbly submit to that, be thankful that we're part of the church you've added to, which is the church universal. 
and not just any local one. May we continue to embrace your truth in Jesus' name. Amen.